Welcome to Parenting Great Kids. This is episode number 175, and I'm your host, Dr. Meg Meeker. Well, you know, there's no doubt about it. We're living in very difficult times for parents. We talk about food shortages, inflation, and war, but we rarely talk about how tough life is now for parents. If you have a child on the autism spectrum, your life is even tougher. So that's what we're going to talk about today. My guest is Jessica Daly, a single mom with a six-year-old boy on the autism spectrum. The road she walks is tough, and she's going to talk to us about what she's learned and how she's coped and what joys she has in her life. So even if your child isn't on the spectrum, chances are good that you know someone with a child who is, and you want to help them. So this is going to be a great show for you. So let's jump into my interview with Jessica. Well, Jessica, thanks so much for coming on today to talk about this really tough topic of autism. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on, Dr. Meeker. You have two kids. We're not going to mention their names to protect their privacy. You have one with autism. So just tell us a little bit about your kids, how old they are and sexes. Sure. So I have a daughter who's 12 and I have a son who's six. And is it the son who has autism? It is. Yes. Okay. Now, you and I have been talking before, and you said that you noticed early on from your mother's intuition that there was something different about your son. You're, you had your daughter, and he was about 15 months old, a year old, when you thought, gee whiz, something could be going on here. Tell us about that and how your intuition led you to broach the subject with your pediatrician. Well, it started with um, minor things that now knowing more about autism, I know they often go hand in hand with autism. But at the time, I had no idea. And so it started off with things that had more to do with his physical health, Um, like he had eczema. And he had a lot of issues with feeding and with sleeping and those types of things. And now, obviously, a few years after his diagnosis, I've learned a lot. And I know that those are very common issues that children with autism often have. Um, But at the time, I had no idea. So I felt like we were just in the pediatrician's office all the time with another issue and another issue. Uh, And then I started slowly noticing things about my son uh, where I would, you know, tap on his shoulder, try to get his attention, call his name. And he would be so focused and fixated on what he was looking at. I remember one time specifically, we were at my parents' house and he had found the cabinet that had, you know, all the electronics and the DVD player and, you know, the cable box and all these things. And he was sitting there just fascinated with the fact that he could push a button and, you know, the part of the hardware that holds the DVD would come out And then he could push it in and then push the button and it would slide out again. And I started, you know, trying to get his attention and I couldn't get his attention. And I was like, hey, buddy, you know, look over here. I'm I'm talking to you, you know, and nothing. He was just so fixated on that. So it started with little things like that and then some more sensory related issues, which, again, I didn't know at the time, but those go hand in hand with autism in many cases, not always, but many times they do. Uh, So I remember one time we were again at my parents' house and he lays on the floor, on the hardwood floor, 
and just starts rolling, just rolling like he's rolling down a hill, but just rolling back and forth on the floor. And at the time, I kind of was like, oh, that's cute. Like, I, I don't know what's going on in his little brain, but, you know, he's just trying to exercise and move his body and figuring things out in life. How old, how old was he then? He was about 15 months at that time. So it was minor things like that. And it drove me to research. And I was trying so hard to figure out what was going on because something about him was different. But for my son in particular, it didn't look like classic autism all the way. There are parts of it that did, but by and large, it didn't. And so it took us a little bit longer to get his diagnosis. And we had to go through a few different professionals to get the diagnosis of autism eventually. Mm -hmm. So if there are any parents out there listening who feel like you did, like, gee whiz, I don't know if it's there. I don't know if it's not there. Where would you suggest starting? Because I know that that diagnosis process can be hard. Yeah, I would say I think that it's crucial. Your pediatrician is going to play a big role in the journey of your child's life. And so the first place I started was with my pediatrician and just bringing these concerns to him and saying, you know, this is going on and then this is going on. And eventually we got to a point where he was considering that it could be autism. And I know that I'm blessed that I had a pediatrician that was willing to consider that, was open to the idea. He was the one that brought it to me first after there were so many different issues I had brought to him. But I know that's not always the case. And sadly, there are pediatricians. I, I know people and I've heard so many stories of, you know, my pediatrician brushed me off. They didn't believe me. But I think that that is the first place to go. And if you feel like you're not being heard by your pediatrician or they're not listening to your concerns or you're just not getting getting any answers there, it might be time to look for a different pediatrician. But from the pediatrician, you know, you guys kind of hold the key and you open the door for us to be able to get the resources and the tools that we need to support our children with autism. So I think having a pediatrician that you trust, that you feel supported by, who cares about you and your child, that is so, so, so important to the autism journey. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So he got his diagnosis and then what? So then from there, it's just been a slow process of piecing things together and finding the best way to support him. So for him specifically, he has needed speech therapy. He's needed occupational therapy, physical therapy at times. And there's just been different elements of it that I've had to learn and be open to. I think that one of the challenges parents face is having a diagnosis, especially one like autism placed on your child is challenging. And I think that I see it now a lot in this journey of parents that don't want to acknowledge that there's something off about their child. And so instead of going and asking their pediatrician or getting them tested for any number of things, it's like they kind of brush it under the rug. And I just think how sad that is for those children, because ultimately at the end of the day, that just 
prohibits their growth and stunts them to be able to thrive. So for us, it's just looked like diving in and learning about autism and finding community and support and being willing to seek out those resources that I know are just going to help set my son up for success in the long run. Mm -hmm. Was it hard for you to accept the diagnosis? To some extent, it was. But on the other hand, it was also very relieving to be able to understand, oh, this is why things have been different for us than they are for so many other people and my friends and the church nursery, you know, kids. And so it was almost relieving in a sense as well. So you could sort of say to them, here is what my son has. Here are his special needs. Did you find most people willing to accommodate or did they give you a lot of pushback? Schools, nurseries, so forth. For us in particular, there has not been much accommodation and it's been hard and it's caused us to have to change our way of living. Um, My son would get kicked out of the church nursery when we went. And I just got so tired of always having to go in and get him out and help him and then be waiting in the lobby with him that I just kind of gave up for a while and stopped trying to go. And the gym nursery. What was it? What was he doing? So with my son in particular, um, he has a lot of trouble navigating social situations. He wants to engage, but he really lacks the emotional intelligence to know what is appropriate and what is not. So that looks like negative behaviors. It looks like inappropriate words at times and misusing his body to hurt other people. And so because of that, I understand that obviously it's a safety issue. And so not everywhere is equipped to be able to handle that. But it has been, it's been an isolating journey by and large, just with people not knowing how to handle him and us and and feeling like we've kind of had to shrink back and hide ourselves from the world. Mm-hmm. Jessica, you've talked about church nursery being tough for your son because he just couldn't connect with kids. He didn't know how to navigate relationships. Now he's in kindergarten. What has school been like for him and for you when he's in kindergarten? For the most part, his first year of school this past year has been really good. The main reason I can say that confidently is because he has a 504 and an IEP in place. And for those who don't know, an IEP stands for an Individualized Education Plan. And it's something that comes into play when there is a child with different challenges than most children that might interfere with their capacity to learn at school. So it's a plan that you put in place between the parents and the teachers at school. And it's really just the school's way of coming alongside of you and saying, what does your child need? How can we help him or her succeed in a school setting? So we came up with that together at the beginning of the year And I'm so grateful that my son has had such an incredible team in place. But for him, some of those things that he gets in his school experience that other neurotypical children might not is he has access to a para who is a trained professional who's with him throughout the day and helps him navigate those social situations that can be tough. Uh, He also has access to a sensory room. So if he's feeling overwhelmed by too much noise and stimulus 
in the classroom, he can ask for a break and go to the sensory room where he can swing or he can play with Play-Doh or play in the water bins. So it allows him to be in school, socialize with people, learn with his peers, but in a way that helps him thrive and meets his personal needs. So that's been a good, helped us have a good experience so far with school. Is he in a public school, private school? He's um, in a school. It's a Waldorf education. Now those only go to a certain grade. Isn't that right? Third grade maybe? Or do they go higher? Uh, They go higher. They go through eighth grade. Those are very flexible programs and they're very open in my experience to alternative educations, to working with your kids. So, you know, it's interesting because as you're talking, I think there might be parents out there listening who go, now, come on, a lot of that's just normal kid behavior. You know, if my kid um, just didn't want to go to school or he was giving nursery people a hard time, I would just discipline him more. Or, you know, if my child were having a hard time connecting with kids or behaving in school, he just needs more discipline. And they would say sort of, so what? That's a parenting issue. It's not a neurologic issue. So would you address that? That's one of the biggest challenges I have as a pediatrician trying to get through to parents to say, this really isn't a parenting issue because a lot of people, parents feel so frustrated that they've tried so many things to change their child and it doesn't change. Right. Can you, did you ever feel like that? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I have. Um, And I think that one thing I tell parents when I'm talking to them and helping them consider, you know, could your child have a neurological difference? Does life seem substantially harder for you than it should be? We get that parenting is hard. Any parent knows it's not easy. There's challenges, there's sacrifices you make, but is it a hundred times harder than that? Is it so hard that you at the end of the day feel like you're not even able to live because your entire existence is going to caretaking and and trying to help your child, you know, navigate situations better. And you've tried all these different discipline techniques and time ins and time out and, and all these different things, and still you're not getting through, then it might be time to go to a professional and ask them, what can I do differently? And they'll know, they'll be able to say, you know what, have you tried this alternative way of parenting? Maybe it'll work better for your child. You try that, it also doesn't work. You go back, you have another conversation. But I think when parents are sitting over there, just beating their head on the wall at the end of the day, thinking, I cannot get through to this child. Everything I've tried does not work. That's a good sign that there could be something going on, even if it's you know not autism, maybe it's ADHD or something like that of that nature. That's just a good sign that there is something there potentially that you want to uh, press into and try to find answers with your pediatrician. So what were the biggest challenges for you as a mother, specifically behaviors that he had, things that he would do, things that he didn't like? What were the hardest things for you to deal with as he got older? For my son in particular, his experience in the world comes with a dysregulated nervous system. 
So by that, for him, it looks like he's very easily triggered into a fight or flight response. So something for me that might set me off or trigger me might match most people's experience. It might be, you know, something as small as like my child jumped out and scared me and it, oh, you know, it caught me off guard and whatnot. Or it could be something more serious, like a car accident or whatnot. For my son, it can be so disturbing to him. If I use the wrong voice inflection, he can lose it and scream and be so upset. Why are you saying it like that, mom? And get so upset about it. And so with that easily triggered fight or flight response in him, that's made it extremely challenging to navigate any kind of social dynamic, even with friends and family, because people don't really understand, you know, it's not that this kid is just a spoiled brat and needs to be spanked. His nervous system is telling him there's danger right now. It's just not danger that the neurotypical would perceive. It's in a different way. And so that's made it hard to be in social situations, even going to the grocery store. We don't go to the store with him. I'll have my parents watch him or I'll have to order groceries to our door because I just can't even get through a shopping experience. So things of that nature have been very challenging because it's hard to explain to people you know, he's not just being wild, reckless bully. He's triggered right now and he needs love and respect the same way that you want yourself and your child to be loved and respected. Parents, I hope you're enjoying this conversation with Jessica Daly. We need to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Parenting Great Kids. Today, my guest is Jessica Daly. I love that you say it's beyond the norm, what a parent would see as the norm. Now, if you have other children who don't have autism, you have a good comparison. But if you don't and you have only one child, it can be hard. In my experience, one of the biggest frustrations that parents have is that there's a volatility, that flight and fight. Mm -hmm. And they'll be going on and they'll be um, eating dinner and everything is good. And then all of a sudden something triggers the child and his behavior is out of control for a good half hour. Yes. And parents can't calm him down. And this is a huge issue um, for a lot of parents, particularly when your spouse isn't on the same page, i.e., you know, mom goes, you know, he can't help this. This is that. He can't help this. This is the way he is. And then dad says, well, no, no, no. You just need to discipline him more. You know, that's really hard. But what I've seen in parents is, but I don't have an autistic child, is this volatility. Yes. That is very, very hard for them to deal with the explosions. Does your yes. son do that? He does. Yeah. And um, until I understood that, which now I know that it's kind of a phrase the autistic community has coined as autistic rage. And that's the very issue we're talking about. And once I heard that and learned about it, I was like, oh my goodness, this is my son. This is what happens. And it's been helpful to understand that piece of it because he used to, and he still does sometimes just a switch flips and he is raging. Um, when he was a year, I would say, this was probably a year or two back and he could rage for two hours straight. He could flip furniture, even as a three or four year old, 
it wasn't the couch or anything, but he would go flip the kitchen table chairs. He would go around and knock them all over and be grabbing a bookshelf and hitting it on the wall back and forth and throwing things and calling names. And at that point in time, I didn't really understand that it comes down to the nervous system. So I would just think, what have I done wrong as a parent? I respect my children and they see me treated well by the people in my life. And we don't watch violent television and he's not neglected. So I don't, it's almost like he's acting out for attention, some might think, but that's not been his experience. And so I used to just sit here again, just dumbfounded, thinking, you know, what is wrong with my child or what happened? What, where did we go so wrong? Um, but then understanding that autistic rage and that it comes down to the nervous system and that his nervous system is more sensitive than mine and more easily triggered than mine has helped tremendously because now when he's in those rage fits, I know better how to help him. I'm less judgmental of him. And I know the importance of me creating a calm, safe environment for him to feel calm and safe to de-escalate. Mm -hmm. So let's say he does have one of those fits and you're, they're out of control and he's throwing furniture. What do you do? It's different in every situation. So for my son, he doesn't really do well with intervening. I've tried to grab him and say, no, we don't do that. And I've tried to usher him to timeout. I've tried to, you know, just sit there next to him and not say anything and be a calm presence. And any sort of intervention from me makes him worse. So it seems so counterintuitive and it, and it is, it feels like it at first, especially, but unless he's hurting himself or someone else, or if he's damaging property, you know, of course I will pick him up, physically remove him and intervene to make sure he's not hurting himself or someone else or someone's property. But beyond that, I have to, with him, just let him work it out of his system. So as long as he's not being a threat, he just has to scream. He has to yell. He has to, you know, do these things. And then he deescalates himself. And it gets to a point where he's calm again, his nervous system is regulated again, and I can go in and provide guidance and support for how we handle it the next time. But one point I wanna to touch on Dr. Meeker is this in particular, with this autistic rage in particular, it's so counterintuitive to the parent to not discipline right then. And something I've had to learn and an analogy I use when explaining it to people is, when you break a bone, the doctor does not cast it right away. They have to wait for the inflammation to go down. Otherwise, it can cause more damage. So the same is true for our children when they're in these moments. It's not that I don't discipline my son. It's not that he gets a free reign to do whatever he wants. I have learned the importance of timing. And timing is crucial with autistic kids. So the first step is always help them calm down if you're able to. And for me, I'm not able to do a whole lot for my son. So I just try to be there. I try to be present, make sure he's not hurting himself. I keep my body and my emotions calm so he can just kind of slowly wind down. And once they're calm, 
that's when we can go in and offer correction or cast that broken bone in the analogy I provided earlier. So it's not that there isn't structure. It's not that there's not rules. It's that we have to wait for the appropriate time to provide that. Mm -hmm. I love that. You know, as I talk to parents about kids who don't have autism, who have temper tantrums, the, their impulse is stop doing that. You can't do, you can't behave that way. And I said, really, the best thing you can do is sit them on your lap or hug them. Don't say anything and let it ride itself out. You're absolutely right. Because all it does is make it worse. But it is very counterintuitive. It is. How How is his sister doing with this? Because it must be hard for her because he gets more attention than she, yes. she does. How is she doing with this? And how are you helping her? I love that you asked that. That is so important, especially for these kiddos that don't have a diagnosis and, you know, they get overlooked oftentimes because it's just the situation. Mom and dad have to focus on, you know, the one that is being the loud squeaky wheel, so to speak. So for my daughter, I would say the first five years of my son's life, um, I look back and I sadly have to admit she really parented herself. She had to cope and navigate situations with less access to me than I wish she would have had. However, in the last year or so, there's been some redemption for us. And I think that what it comes down to is a parent being willing to be humble and honest with themselves because I think a lot of times we beat ourselves up and we think like, oh, I'm just not there for the child. And, and we get mad at ourselves and then we kind of just want to pretend it's not happening and they'll be fine. They'll be fine. But I think there's something so powerful about us coming into that child's world and saying, hey, look, I love you so much and I want to be a better parent to you. But in this season right now, I haven't been able to. And even if the season hasn't changed, being able to address it and call it out and say, I want it to change. I wish it could. But right now, this is what it looks like. And I don't know when that's going to change. But I just wanted to let you know that mommy or daddy loves you and you are just as important. And it's a priority to me to make sure I have time to connect with you. So I'm going to be working on that. And even if it's just for me, my, my therapist was a lifesaver and he just recommended, you know, carve out 30 minutes on Tuesday nights or whatever night you can, even if it's only 30 minutes once a week, that time to them is so special just to let them know you are seen and we haven't forgotten about you. And then as your time goes on and maybe your capacity changes, maybe you find another time in the week that you can do maybe even 10 minutes and you start trying to slowly build that time. But even if you're not in a position where you can do that, just the humility to go before your child and say, listen, I'm not there for you how I should be and how I want to be and how you deserve. And I acknowledge that. And I think there's something so powerful about that because then they at least have the awareness to know, oh, yeah. You know, there have been things I've had to figure out on my own and this might they're not going to think about it at the time. But then later in their life, when they look back on things like we all do, they might be able to recognize it like, oh, that's that time when mom and dad were really struggling with my brother or sister. 
And mom told me that, you know, I had to kind of take care of myself more than she wanted me to. So maybe that's part of a piece of the story that I need to go get help and talk to someone to process. So just giving them the words and articulating that and not brushing it under the rug, I think is so powerful. Well, and as you say, acknowledging that they have pain and it's legitimate and it's coming from you and you feel sad about it and you're going to do the best you can to change that. You're a single mom. I am. And how does your son do going back and forth between homes? Can you give some encouragement, advice to single moms when dealing with a child who has special needs, particularly autism? Yes. So for my son, when he comes home from being with dad, typically all hell breaks loose. And it's hard for him because there is a difference in the parenting styles. And, you know, when he comes back to me, it's a little bit more structured and a little bit more, you know, I guess structured is is the only word I can think of that's most appropriate. Um, and that's very hard for him to transition. And so one of my children's therapists a few years back, like gave me this insight and she said, try to take it easy on your children that first day or that first night that they're transitioning back. So just go into it knowing, you know, tonight when my son or daughter comes home from being with dad or being with mom, it's going to be a rough night or it likely will be. Maybe it won't be, but maybe it likely will be. And knowing that ahead of time, and then you can think through, so what do I need to have in place? If I need to take a shower, I'm going to take a shower now. If I need to cook dinner and I'm not sure I'll be able to later, I'm going to do that now if I can. And then placing less demands on your child, I have found, works very well when they're transitioning back. So I try to give space for my kids. And if they need screen time, to transition back, that's okay. I will allow that. Or if they want to go play outside with their friends, for my daughter specifically, you know, she's allowed to do that. I don't try to force them back in and, you know, pester them with questions of how is dad's house? What do you guys do? You, you know, and just come at them with an agenda. I try to let them just kind of melt back into our home and our rhythm as easily as possible. And that has come with less demands and more grace. Awesome. Because that's that's hard. It's hard for couples. It's hard for children. We only have a couple more minutes left. And, um, you know, one of the things that I've been thinking about is anticipating the future and knowing the past. You're having you have a real good handle on how to handle different situations. Are you hopeful in any way that as you apply techniques you've learned, like sitting there and letting him just be mad? that you can curb some of those behaviors? Or do you feel that going forward, you're just going to have to encourage people to understand him who are going to be working with him? Yes and yes. <laughs> yeah, so there has you. been tremendous growth and progress in my son. And those two hour long rages that used to happen frequently, the longest rage that I recall in the last year has probably been 20 or 30 minutes. And that's pretty infrequent. And it's come from pulling in every tool, every resource, all the therapies, you know, even being willing to look at his diet and screen time and all of these things. It's multifaceted. And so as I've been willing to continue to learn what's best for him 
and let go of things that aren't serving him anymore. I have noticed he's grown, he's changed, he's improved, and I'm very encouraged by that. So I do hope that there's going to come a time when I can take him to the playground and not have to hover over him and be like, oh my gosh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. You know, apologizing to all the parents and the other kids. And I hope that there is going to come a time that that will happen. But also, I would love to see there be more support from the community as a whole, just in their willingness to learn and be present and even just show up and say, I don't know the answers. I don't know how to treat you and your child, but I'm willing to learn. Well, and from my standpoint, most importantly, to not come up and judge you as a bad parent because your kid is out of control. Yes. That is just just really, really rude. It's so unhelpful. As we leave, one word of advice, one word of encouragement, one thing to do. If you could say, just pick one thing for every parent out there with a child with autism, what would that be? Uh, so this is something I'm so passionate about, and I'm so glad you asked. And it's it goes for parents of autistic children. And it also goes for everyone that will ever interact with one of these children is understanding that a neurodiverse child is not a problem to be solved, but a person to be loved. And I think that just having that awareness changes how we interact with them. And it it takes it from, I'm not trying to fix you or figure you out so you can fit into my world. It just shows up as grace and love and says, you are seen and you are accepted exactly how you are. And you don't need to be fixed or changed to fit in and belong here. Wonderful lesson and advice for all of us who are parents and grandparents, because isn't that hard to just accept who that person is and love them where they are and say, I'm not God. I can't just wave a magic wand and change you into the person I think you should be. You are who you are, and I'm going to embrace you and love you. Jessica, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story, your personal struggles, your kids' struggles. I really appreciate your honesty and your vulnerability. This is going to be a show that's going to help a lot of parents out there. So thanks so much. Absolutely. Thank you, Dr. Minker, for having me and just being willing to have this conversation because it's something that parents, especially parents of children with autism, they need to hear more of. They need to hear that, you know, we are willing to have these hard conversations and bring light to the situation and the reality that is their life. So thank you for being willing to dive into this. You're welcome. Well, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Jessica today. If you're feeling frustrated, exhausted, or overwhelmed, hang in there. You're going to make it. Just get through today, my friend. All right, let's go over my points to ponder. One, get training. One of the hardest things about raising a child on the spectrum is that you don't know how to handle things like compulsive behaviors, outbursts, sensory or auditory issues. So find someone who really understands autistic behavior and have them teach you how to respond. Call your state or local autism center and ask who you could see and who can help you. Two, shift your expectations. If you have a child on the spectrum and you also have children who aren't, you may find yourself putting expectations on your 
autistic child that are unrealistic. And when you do this and your child doesn't meet those expectations, your level of frustration skyrockets. So as you learn to understand what reasonable expectations are for your child, you will feel so much calmer. Three, be your child's advocate. Many parents and teachers and care providers who don't understand children on the spectrum will be critical and they'll blame your child's behavior on your parenting. And this happens because other parents are ignorant about autism spectrum disorder. If a teacher or care provider doesn't understand how to handle your child, change schools or daycare providers. Even if an ASD expert recommends a program that you don't feel is going well for your child or is good for your child, don't be afraid to speak up. I want to thank my guest, Jessica Daly, for joining me on the show today. You can find out more about Jessica Daly at jessica-daily.com, jessica-daily.com. And while you're there, you can click on the social media icons at the bottom of the page to follow Jessica on social media. Now let's recap my three points to ponder. One, Get training for yourself. Two, shift your expectations. And three, be your child's advocate. And friends, always remember that great kids are raised, not born. <laughs>